This is in John chapter 8. This is a situation where Jesus was talking with a number of the scribes and Pharisees, and they were not listening, of course, to what he had to say, or, I mean, they weren't uh, trusting and believing in what he had to say. And uh, part of the discussion had to do with them pointing out that Abraham was their father. And Jesus tells them, well, if Abraham was your father, you'd be doing the deeds of Abraham, and you'd be listening to what I have to say. But they kept arguing with him about Abraham being their father. So in the midst of that, or right towards the end of that time, um, Jesus says this to him, and we're in John chapter 8, verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. The Jews therefore said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So I'd like to speak to you this morning on Christ, the great I am. I think as we look at this scripture, we'll see that this is actually one of the greatest statements of of Christ's divinity that we have in all of the Bible. By Christ's divinity, I mean that he, Jesus Christ, was and is and always will be very God of very God. Just like Paul said, in him... All the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So we just read here one of the great I am statements that Christ made. Later on we'll look at a few others. I may not even get to them this time. I probably won't, but there's a number of them. But before we go on in the New Testament, I want to turn back to the Old Testament to see why this statement that Jesus made here Uh, on this occasion is really such an incredible, amazing, important statement. What Jesus was saying when he said, before Abraham was, I am, to really understand what he was saying, we have to go back to the Old Testament and look at where that phrase came from. So to do that, we have to turn back to Exodus chapter 3. So let's turn back. We're just going to start in the middle of this account. If you remember, this is the time where Moses was there at the burning bush. There was a bush uh, that was on fire but not being consumed. And actually, that was just a visible representation of the fact that God was speaking to him in that situation. And uh, you might remember God said, take off your shoes the place on which you're standing is holy ground. So this, the background there really had to do with Moses, uh, of course, was raised in, in Egypt, uh, the, the son of Pharaoh's daughter, 
but he was a Hebrew. You remember the thing of it being put in the little basket there in the river and uh, Pharaoh's daughter uh, finding him and taking him back to the palace and raising him uh, as an Egyptian, but he was a Hebrew. And after about 40 years in that setting, he went out amongst his people and saw how they were being mistreated. And he ends up killing an Egyptian. But then he realized, I'm in trouble. So he, he left, got out of Egypt, went to a land called Midian. That's where this account takes place that we're looking at right now, where God appears to him and says, after 40 years, now he's, he's been a shepherd in, in Midian there for 40 years. God says, comes to him and says, all right, I'm going to send you back to, to your people now and you're going to bring them out of Egypt. And uh, basically, Moses says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Well, then in the midst of that, this is the account we're looking at right now. So he, uh, Exodus chapter 3 and verse 13. Then Moses said to God, behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I shall say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me, has sent me, to, uh, me to you. This, don't miss this part, even though I'm stumbling around here. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. So he says, this name I'm sending you back with is a very important name. This is my name forever. This is my memorial name to all generations. So, you know, you know everything God tells us about himself is important. But surely, what he tells Moses here is one of the most important things ever uttered. It's of utmost importance. And again, you might remember that biblical names always had a significance. Biblical names almost always express some truth about the person named. And so when God takes a name to himself, you know it's going to express some important thing about him. Um, so contained in this memorial name is the first and most important truth about God. Now that's, that's a pretty amazing thing to say, but I believe it's true. What we have in this name is the first and most important th truth about God. What is that? That he is. That he is. And he is the great reality behind all other existence. Now, when I say that God is, that may sound pretty simplistic and something we take for granted, but it's actually very profound. And this was a powerful revelation of the character of God 
that Moses was supposed to take back to his people. Uh, this name actually encompasses everything. Whatever is, God's saying, whatever is, I am, I am in charge of it. See, our problem when we think about this being so simple to say that God is uh, and something we kind of take for granted is that we think of God's existence as if it were the same as ours. And it's not. It's not at all the same. His existence is infinitely greater than our existence and of an altogether different nature than ours. We'll look at this uh, some more as we go along here just to see what's some of what's implied anyway by this amazing name that God revealed to Moses, what he calls his memorial name to all generations. In this encounter, God reveals himself by a new, unique, glorious name, a name that we're not even sure today as to how it is supposed to be pronounced because initially it had no vowels in it. The Hebrews used to write their, uh, originally wrote their language out without vowels in it. It was a spoken language uh, passed on, you know, orally, their traditions and everything. And when they wrote it down, they left the vowels out uh, because people would just know by the context what the word was. They supplied the vowels. Problem is we don't know what the vowels were at this at this point. If you have a little marginal note in your Bible, like I do in mine, they at the uh, the uh, notation for this phrase "I am." It says related to the name of God, Y H W H in capitals, Y H W H, rendered Lord. And it says it comes from a verb that means to be, or it has to do with existence. So we have these, these consonants, Y-H-W-H, without the vowels in. So it has been thought that maybe this was pronounced Jehovah, but it's more likely that it was Yahweh, more likely Yahweh. Uh, so... Whatever, this YHWH, they're all built on a name for God dealing with his existence. Uh, in other words, this was a proclamation that God is absolute being, etern the eternally is existing one, the first, final, and ultimate reality. That's all encompassed in this, this t two little <laughs> words, I am. He's the first, final, and ultimate reality. He absolutely always and everywhere is. In that sense, only God can affirm, I am that I am, or another way of saying it, I am who I am, or another way of saying it, I am the one who is. All that's a possible ways of rendering this. He 
that is God, alone is totally self-existent. That's part of what we're talking about, being self-existent. We are not self-existent. We have an existence, but it's not in ourselves. He's, he is totally self-existent, self-dependent, self-sustaining, and self-sufficient. He alone is the totally independent, autonomous, and free one. He's not only independent in himself, but he also causes everything else to depend on him. He needs, not, he needs nothing that we can give. He needs nothing that we can give him, but we desperately need him for life and breath and all things. In him, in him we live and move and have our being. We have our being in him but he has his being in himself. All this and much more is encompassed in this, this little uh, name that God, little I say because it's just two words, but huge in implication. Without him there would be no other being, including human beings human beings who foolishly think they can exist apart from him. Jesus said a very similar thing when he said, the Father has life in himself. We don't have life in ourselves. The Father has life in himself. We have life that's been given to us. He has, God has the power of an infinite life in himself. The only reason that you and I can say I am is because he is the great I am who made us in his image. I am because God is. He is because he is. Some philosophers have pointed out that the most basic philosophical question is why is there something rather than nothing. Why is there something rather than nothing? Why is there anything here at all? Why am I here? Why is there something rather than nothing? The answer is simple yet profound. There is something because God is. And he created everything else out of nothing. If he were not, nothing could be. You know, at some point, your children may ask, as they think about things, one thing's made from another thing, and this pulpit's made from wood, and the wood's made from a tree, and the tree comes out of the ground, and where'd the ground come from? And eventually, you get, if you trace anything back, you get back to God. But then you ask the question, where'd God come from, or who made God? Now you've just crossed over into a whole different realm of answer, because you're going to start talking about something that never was made. You can't say, well, God made himself. That's not the right answer. God always was. God never was not. He always existed. 
what God is like in his infinite, eternal, independent being is unfathomable. We can't comprehend it with our human reason. But we can ask God to open some of that infinite wonder of what we're talking about in this name, this glorious name, Yahweh, I Am. We can ask him to open some of that up to us by his spirit through his word. As Christians, we are called to think long, deep, awe-inspiring thoughts concerning God. And surely this marvelous, majestic, mysterious name should help us do that. If we just dwell on it and think about what we're talking about and to try to help us in that area along that line, here are a few thoughts to ponder that maybe will help us think a little bit deeper than we normally do, uh, and especially concerning this name we're talking about here, I am that I am. So the first thought or question, why is God the way he is? You know, for us, there are many factors related to our heredity and our environment that make us the way we are and things that continually continue to shape us into who we are. But God is the way he is simply because he is who he is. That's the reason he is. The way he is, because that's the way he is. He is his own reason for all that he is and does. And unlike us, he's not becoming anything. He is who he is, absolute perfection, which, which cannot be improved. He is who he is, and he is who he always was, and he is who he always will be. He always is, and he always is the same past, present, and future. What are we talking about, you know? You've got to just let these things uh, hit you on the head. We and all creation are constantly changing, constantly becoming. I'm not even the same right now as I was 10 minutes ago when I walked up here. I'm a little older. So we're constantly changing, constantly becoming. But God is not becoming anything other than what he is. He is the eternal one who existed forever before creation. Think about that. He is the eternal one who existed forever before creation. I mean, try to think about that. Try to think back. Back before the time you were born, back before the birth of this nation, back before Christopher Columbus, back before the Roman Empire, back before Moses, back before Abraham, back before Noah, back before Adam, back before the creation of the world. Before all else, there was only God, only the I Am.
He is all that was eternally. No universe, no space, no emptiness, only the great I am. Now, I said no emptiness. That may sound strange, but I think uh, the reason I said that is because I think we have the wrong idea in our head. We have kind of like the, uh, the idea of, okay, only God existed, so there was God and then empty space everywhere else. There wasn't any empty space. There wasn't anything else. It was just God. I mean, we, we tend to almost think of God spatially, and we can't do that when we're talking about the great I Am. He, he was spirit. And there was no God in space. It was just God. And we can't understand that. In other words, there was no, no everywhere else. There was no where. Just God. No time, no space, no nothing, only God. Only Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God and three persons forever before anything else. And again, I say try to think about that for a while. Dwell on it. Only God forever before anything else. So that's one area just to kind of ponder. But I'm trying to say things that might make us think deeper than we thought before. So here's another question. What was God doing before he created the universe and before he had a people to save? And that probably seems like an impossible question to answer. But it, to even think the thought helps us focus on his eternal nature. Behind what God does in creation and redemption is the glory of who he is in himself. The glory of who he is in his beautiful, majestic, awesome, eternal character. You see, I, I really believe as God's people we should not only be praising him for his acts in time, but also for his essential being, who he is in himself, before anything else, before he even had a creation to deal with, who he is in himself. And we do know some things about that essential nature because he's told us. We know from Scripture that there was a Trinitarian love relationship before the foundation of the world and that the three persons of the Trinity shared an eternal glory. And one place you see that is in that high priestly prayer in John 17. We won't turn to it now, but sometime just meditate on some of those phrases where Jesus talks about the glory he had with the Father before the foundation of the world. One writer said this, he said, God's glory would not be eternal if it depended on anything outside of himself. God's glory is eternal because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have always appreciated and ascribed glory to one another. 
This was always going on, forever and ever and ever. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this love relationship. They are completely, that is, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are completely and forever satisfied in the infinite glory and love they shared with each other. Again, we're talking about something that's virtually beyond comprehension. This love relationship that was there eternally. But it's not wrong to try to, to ponder these things. Think about them. Think deeply about them. To me, it's a wonderful thought that back of all creation is the eternal love relationship of the Trinity. That, to me, that's just incredible and, and so wonderful to think that this is this is there in back of everything else is this Trinitarian love relationship that went on forever. Love has always existed. Think about that. Personal relational love has always existed because it was there in the Trinity forever. One thing we can say for sure, there never was nothing. There never was nothing. There always was something, or more accurately, there always was someone. The one who said, I am that I am. Something we can draw from that, since he is the ultimate reality, he must be the absolute standard of truth and goodness and beauty. He has to be. And he does whatever he pleases, and it's always right. Moreover, nothing can be rightly known apart from its relationship to him. You can't understand one thing in the world rightly without tracing it back to God. That's why the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You can't get off, you can't get off square one apart from realizing who God is. And, he, and the fact that he's in back of everything else. All reality relates back to him. And then from that, you know, it's very easy to just go on and say, all else compared to him is as nothing. When we're talking about this infinite, eternal God. Seems as nothing. And David, just, David himself felt that as he just looked up at the sky. The skies at night. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Yet, here's the amazing thing. We are not meaningless or insignificant because he chose to create us and determined that we, that we would be meaningful to him, especially meaningful to him as made in his image. He eternally planned that he would create us for his glory. That gives great meaning to your life. That God created you and I for his glory. We can actually bring joy to God. This God we're talking about, this eternal God that needs nothing from us. We can actually bring joy to God. Again, think of this. We can bring joy to the one who never changes and never needs anything. 
what greater significance could we possibly have that we, that we could bring joy to that, per, that one? We can actually enter into a love relationship with the great I Am. Let me just read one verse here. There's a number of good verses in Isaiah that talk about God delighting in us as his people. But uh, I particularly like this one out of Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord, and that's Lord in all caps. Whenever you see that Lord in all caps, that's the word Yahweh. That's the, that's the, the uh, name for God that we're looking at this morning. When you, when you see L-O-R-D in all caps, that's just a way of recognizing that they're talking about Yahweh. That's the name for Yahweh. That's the great I am we're talking about. The other, the Lord in small letters, uh, Adonai, Adonai, is a different word. This is, this is Yahweh. The Lord your God is in your midst. Yahweh is in your midst. A victorious warrior. He will exalt over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. Think of this. We're talking about Yahweh rejoicing in us with shouts of joy. Incredible. How can it be? Surely, when we realize this, we can just see how he's worthy of our utmost attention and admiration and enjoyment. Even the word hallelujah is praise Jehovah, praise Yahweh, praise I am. That's what hallelujah means. Praise Yahweh. Praise the absolute eternal existing I am, the all-sufficient being below, beyond, above, and back of all other existence. For from him and through him and to him are all things. For him be the glory forevermore. Amen. So every time we hear this name, Jehovah, or Yahweh, every time we see the word Lord spelled in all caps, we should think this is the great memorial name of the one true God. The name that was revealed to Moses here in this time of the burning bush. We should be, it should remind us that God absolutely is and is the foundation of all reality. He is the only timeless, ageless, always existent, ne never changing, uncaused one. The one who can say, the only one who can say in any absolute sense, I am. I like the way John Piper puts it. God absolutely is. Nothing is more basic, nothing more ultimate than the fact that God is. Nothing is more foundational to his church than that God is. 
Nothing is more foundational to your life or your marriage or your job or your health or your mind or your future than that God is. Nothing is more foundational to the world or the solar system or the Milky Way or the universe than that God is. And nothing is more foundational to the Bible and the self-revelation of God and the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ than God is. It's, it's the foundational thing. The rock we stand on in every situation is this. God is. He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. This great name for God is used over 6,000 times in the Old Testament. This is the predominant name for God in the Bible. Yahweh, this I am. Let me just give you a few examples from the book of Isaiah. Let's just turn to these. And this is just a very small sampling. But it gives an idea of all that's, or some of what's wrapped up in this name. So Isaiah um, chapter 40 to begin with here. Isaiah forty twenty eight. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, there it is in caps, you see. That means that we're talking about Yahweh. The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. It means you can't understand his understanding. That's what that means. All right, uh, Chapter 41, verse 4. Who has performed and accomplished it, calling forth the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last, I am He. So again, the Lord, I am. Um, 43.10. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, Yahweh, and my servant whom I have chosen, in order that you may know that I, know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, and there will be none after me. I am he. And then verse 13. Even from eternity I am he, and there is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act and who can reverse it. All that is encompassed. Just even the idea of the sovereignty of God is encompassed in this, this name, I Am. Um, 44.6 Thus says the Lord, again, there's, it's in caps. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and there is no God beside me. So that's just a sampling of how that that uh, name for God, Yahweh, is used uh, in a few verses out of Isaiah. 
So now, after we've thought about this a little bit, let's turn back to the New Testament in this account in John chapter 8. The Jews therefore said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. The literal there, in terms of before Abraham was born, before Abraham came into being, before Abraham came into being, I am. Surely from what we've looked at in the Old Testament, we can see that this simple statement by Christ is one of the greatest possible proclamations of his deity. I don't think he could say it any stronger than what he was saying here. It's so easy to read over it and not realize. He's saying, I am God. I am the I am. Well, the Jewish leaders that heard this, they knew at least somewhat of what he was saying. They viewed this name as one of the most sacred of divine expressions. And it was no wonder that they picked up stones in order to stone him because they thought this was blasphemy. Can a man say this? Can a man standing in front of me say, I am? How's it? It can't be unless he's God. So they knew it was either either blasphemy or reality. They stoned him because it was blasphemy. The fact is, it was reality. This is not the only time that Jesus used this sacred name, but we're going to save those till next time because the message is getting a little too long here. But uh, in closing, let me just say that I believe that God would be delighted for us to take this revelation of himself, I am who I am, and meditate upon it until it produces a proper wonder and awe for the one we call our Father and also for his Son who applied this name to himself, this divine name to himself. Think of it. We can seek and know, at least to some extent, we can know this incomprehensible God, this one who said, I am. We can know him because he's chosen to reveal himself to us in Christ. When God spoke to Moses out of that burning bush, Moses said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? But God says, what you really need to concentrate on is who I am. I am the I am, the one who always is, the one who's in control of all all existence. Go to the people with that. Think about it yourself as you go, Moses, into that, going back to that situation where these Pharaoh would want to kill you. Just remember, I am. And tell the people that. Here's the one, the one who's going to deliver you, not Moses. It's the great I am. That's the one.
When we think of these things, we ought to bow before them in wonder and worship. I mean, the place on which we're standing is holy ground. If we get any feel for this revelation at all, we realize we're on holy ground. There should be a deep thankfulness and joy that this self-existent one, this one who needs nothing outside of himself, has for some reason called us to himself and bestowed his love upon us in Christ. That love, that love that was there eternally before the foundation, we can be part of that. We can enter into it and experience. As the songwriter said, amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Think of it, infinite, eternal, self-existent God, the one who walked this earth 2,000 years ago and died for our sins. Amazing love. So in closing then, whatever our situation, we can stand on this unshakable foundation. God is. No matter what happens, Just say, God is. In the midst of trials and temptations and problems and pain, we can raise our eyes to heaven and proclaim, God is. God is. Whatever is going on with me, God is. And he's my God. From everlasting to everlasting, he is. Christ is Lord. He's Yahweh. And we are His. That should settle it all. Well, Lord willing, we'll go on from there next time. Why don't we close with that song, We Will Glorify.